The views, opinions, and findings contained in this podcast are those of the host and subject matter experts. They should not be construed as official Department of Defense positions, policies, or decisions unless designated by other official documentation. Hi, welcome to Clinical Updates in Brain Injury Science Today or Cubist, a podcast for healthcare providers about current research on traumatic brain injury, also known as TBI. This program is produced by the Defense and Veterans Brain Injury Center, otherwise known as DIVBIC. I'm your host today, Don Marion. Today, I'll be speaking with Amanda Ganeau about a recently published article on traumatic brain injury. Ms. Ganeau is a subject matter expert on TBI at DIVBIC. Amanda and I will discuss a study entitled Lasting Consequences of Concussion on the Aging Brain, Findings from the Baltimore Longitudinal Study of Aging, a study that was authored by Danielle June and colleagues and published in NeuroImage in July of 2020. Hi, Amanda, and thanks for bringing this article to our attention today. Can you tell me a little bit about the study and what they were looking at? Hi, Don. Sure. So this was a really interesting article that came from the Baltimore Longitudinal Study of Aging cohort. And so for those who aren't familiar, the Baltimore Longitudinal Study of Aging is one of the world's longest running studies of aging. It started back in 1958, and they enroll healthy volunteers ages 20 and older and follow them longitudinally for life and even perform autopsies on those who have consented to that. So it's a really valuable data resource. So for this study, the researchers sought to find out whether a history of concussion had an impact on future neurodegeneration using both imaging modalities and cognitive testing. The study examined various imaging and cognitive testing results from 51 older patients, so a mean age of 65, with a self-reported history of concussion and compared it to 150 matched case controls without concussion to determine the difference in structure, functionality, and clinical cognitive deficits over time. The imaging modalities they used were magnetic resonance imaging, or MRI, diffusion tensor imaging, or DTI, and 15O water PET scan. MRI was used to assess changes in total brain and ventricular volume in 21 different regions of interest. DTI was used to assess microstructural damage in the white matter of the frontal and temporal regions of the brain, and PET scans were used to assess regional cerebral blood flow, or RCBF, as an indirect measure of localized neuronal activity. Cognitive tests were done using standardized neuropsychological assessments that tested the domains of memory, attention, executive function, and visual spatial ability. Very interesting topic to me, uh, Amanda, because the concern in the military are the long-term effects uh, or potential effects of blast exposure and even low-level blast exposure that's not severe enough to cause a concussion. And the question is, what effects, if any, are those blasts going to have on the aging brain? The only way we're really going to be able to answer that question and and really figure this out is through these kinds of longitudinal studies, like the Baltimore Longitudinal Study on Aging. So I'm I'm glad they're doing it. I, I think that's important. So exactly how was the study done, Amanda? 
Sure. So of the 51 participants who reported a concussion, all 51 had at least one MRI and 37 of them had two or more brain MRIs. 40 had DTI and 28 of those had longitudinal data. 15 participants had PET scans with 12 of them that had longitudinal data. And then all 51 participants underwent the neuropsychological assessments with 46 of them that had uh, longitudinal cognitive data with two or more visits. So I say this to emphasize that this was a relatively small sample size. The researchers then compared the data in the concussed subgroup to match case control data and performed statistical analyses to determine whether there was a difference. Amanda, when you say longitudinal data, you mean they had more than one study, correct? Yes, correct. For MRI, the second scan was done at a mean of about five years. For DTI, the second scan was done at three years. For PET studies, it was done at 5.3 years. And for cognitive studies, the follow-up studies were done over 11.6 years. Okay, great. Prior to getting their first study, how long had it been since they had their concussion? Yeah, that's a really good question, Don. So the average age of concussion was 23 years prior to the initial imaging, so a while ago. And the average age of the first concussion in this group was about 33 years old. So typically, they were about 33 when they had the concussion. Then there was a lag of of more than two decades before they had their first imaging study. Okay, I I understand. So exactly what did they find? So for MRI, in comparison to controls, the concussion group had smaller volumes of the temporal white matter and hippocampus at the first imaging visit, as well as larger ventricular volume. These differences remained stable over the follow-up visits, and there were no significant differences in the rate of change between groups during longitudinal follow-up. For DTI, in comparison to controls, the concussion group showed significantly greater microstructural damage in subfrontal and temporal regions of the brain, particularly in the limbic system structures. And this was manifested by higher radial diffusivity at first DTI visit. These differences remained stable over the follow-up years, and there was no significant difference in the rate of change between the groups during longitudinal follow-up. Changes in regional cerebral blood flow in those with a history of concussion, as measured by PET scanning, were not as consistent. So that showed both increases and decreases in regional cerebral blood flow, most predominantly in limbic system structures like the hippocampus, insular cortex, and prefrontal cortex. And then finally, cognitively, and this is interesting, Don, there were no differences in memory, attention, executive function, language, or visual spatial abilities between the concussion and control groups. And this was true at the first imaging visit and also during longitudinal follow-up. That is interesting, Amanda. I'm surprised. Uh, And to me, that raises an important question about the clinical significance of the structural and physiologic changes you described. You know, this is really not the first study that's uh, shown, especially microstructural injury six months or, or a year or more after a concussion. And I know it's the tendency for a lot of clinicians to say, oh, look, there's an abnormality on an MRI or an abnormality on DTI imaging that must be the cause for your headache or your memory problems or whatever. And, And what this study shows is not necessarily that they're not related. So what were the specific cognitive tests that they used, Amanda? Yeah, so memory, executive function, attention, verbal fluency, and visual spatial perceptual motor abilities were assessed using 11 different cognitive measures. And those included the California verbal learning test, the trail making test, category and letter fluency, 
the card rotations test and the clock drawing test with 1110 and 325 as times drawn on a clock. I'm glad you tell us that because, again, they didn't find a cognitive deficit associated with these structural abnormalities, and it wasn't for lack of trying. They uh, really did test these people cognitively in a number of domains, so that's interesting. So what were the limitations of the study, Amanda? So the study did have several limitations, and the biggest one was the small sample size, which, as you know, Don, limits the statistical power of the results. Um, Another limitation is that the history of concussion 20 to 30 years ago was based on subject self-report. And so, as you alluded to earlier, using independent medical record reports of concussion would have strengthened the study. And, you know, lastly, the demographics in this cohort were not necessarily generalizable to the population. So the study described 80 to 90% of the cohort as Caucasian, and a more diverse group of participants certainly would have better represented the population. Additionally, the majority of the members of this cohort were college educated, and I wonder if this had an effect on the results of the cognitive testing or, you know, whether a higher level of education may have allowed for more active cognitive engagement as the participants age, which, as you know, can decrease the incidence of cognitive decline over time. Interesting. So you're suggesting that there might have been a ceiling effect of the cognitive tests that they used and that these people... Were, were kind of overeducated, if you will, and may have had cognitive difficulties that just weren't picked up on these cognitive tests that they used. Potentially, or that the higher educated cohort of patients may be more likely to remain cognitively engaged as they age. So finally, Amanda, uh, what are the key takeaways? What do you want the provider to walk away from this with? You know, well, I think this study really speaks to the compensatory mechanisms of the brain following a concussion, and clinicians should really be cautious about attributing abnormalities observed on MRI or other imaging reports to any particular behavioral, cognitive, or psychological symptom or sign. I thought that these preliminary results were really fascinating, and I look forward to reading more about, you know, how this might be replicated with a larger, more diverse cohort of patients, and I wonder if the outcome would be different. Well, thanks, Amanda. I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. You can stay up to date on future episodes by subscribing to Cubis on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts, where you can also find links to the articles we discussed and other relevant resources. Cubist is produced and edited by Vinnie White and was hosted today by me, Don Marion. It is a product of the Defense and Veterans Brain Injury Center, led by Division Chief Captain Scott Pine, Medical Corps, United States Navy. Thank you for listening to this episode. Next time, we will discuss TBI research getting attention in the mainstream press. Mm-hmm.